and welcome back to Planty Planty Zuzu. My name is Connor. And I'm Steph. And we are your hosts, and this week we'll be meeting two more people that we spoke to at Global Bird Fair this year, and who both added a wonderful new animal species to Planty Planty Zuzu, our hypothetical zoo slash botanical gardens. Before we get stuck in um, and talk to those people and find out what they've added, how are you, Steph? How's your week been? I'm all right. Aside from a horrible migraine this morning, as you know, I got up at 1pm because of it and it's been freezing. Uh, But there's been lots of good stuff going on as well, like um, last weekend visiting my granny. Yeah. Yeah, to celebrate her 90th birthday. Yeah, 90's so old. She's had such a... I can't really... She was, like, disgusted at the fact she was turning 90. (laughs) And we were like, well, well, I'm very happy that you are. We all kept not mentioning it, and then someone rocked it with 90 balloons, and we were like, no! Yeah, it was a lovely time, wasn't it? Yeah. And then when we weren't at the pub celebrating your granny, we went for a nice few nice nature walks, or Mm. we saw saw a few red kites. Yeah. Love a red kite. We saw stepping stones. We did. You, you you showed me the uh, the sewage treatment plant or whatever it was. I did showed you the sewage treatment plant. Uh... All the lovely uh, lovely sights and sounds of Bricketwood. It's an interesting one. <laughs> and aside from that, we've had a sort of fun time doing a couple of separate things work wise. Uh, so I've been I got to go to a journalism diversity conference. Yeah, because I'm doing a journalism course. And it's, yeah, I got a diversity sort of bursary and got invited to this conference up in Media City, got to go to Manchester, got to go on a a cram, a tram. Thrilled about that. Trams are really cool. It made me want to move to Manchester alone. I can genuinely imagine you just riding that tram around all day and just missing the conference because you were having too much fun. Yeah. I mean. It crossed my mind, honestly. But yeah, I learned loads. There was radio presenters there and uh, really impressive investigative journalists. And they all have just they sort of fall into the diversity bracket. But hearing their experiences and how they've overcome things and the things they still struggle with and how it can be made better was just so amazing and inspiring. And I came home sort of fairly late, late ish, just very, very motivated. So that was wonderful. It sounds like a really fantastic conference. Yeah. and then you came home a couple of days ago covered in glitter because <laughs> you don't have a real job. You have a pretend job. <laughs> hey, leave it out. <laughs> Two professionals is a very serious career. I got to decorate trees all day. <laughs> uh, so while you were off having a lovely time in a conference in Manchester, I was out in minus three degrees stringing icicles up into a load of woodland like a little sprite. And throwing painted pine cones at a tree? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. We're decorating our, our Christmas trees at work, getting ready for the festive season and how we make our site look all festive and Christmassy for visitors. I think it actually looks really nice in the end. I want to go see it. Whether everybody appreciates how long I spent not being allowed to fool my hands Aww. because of hanging everything up. And also, I hate ladders, I've learned. <laughs> um, not, not a fun time. But yeah, all parts of the... The various joys of working in education within zoos. It, mm. That means you uh, end up doing lots of stuff that you never expected to. Yeah, wonderful. Okay, so, shall we get into it? Absolutely, I think it's your turn to go first this week, isn't it? It is, and I've really enjoyed this. So, this was suggested by wildlife TV presenter Nick Baker who was lovely, He's really, really nice. He's delightful. We spoke to him once and were fairly normal, and then we 
as part of our sort of going around the global bird fair trying to get different people to tell us their favorite animals he'd agreed to do it and we went and found him and then we proceeded to be just very weird yeah Uh, we found him when he was having a conversation with a lot of other fantastic mm. conservationists including matt duke who was uh, on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and so rather than interrupt the conversation nick baker was having we looked an uncomfortable distance away not too close but also not far enough to be completely inconspicuous it was just incredibly awkward i'd say for us and we were literally like glancing over. We we're like two schoolgirls with a crush. I'm not good. I need to get better at interjecting yeah, or absolutely. like inserting myself in conversation because I never have the confidence. You're a bit better than I am, but I never have the confidence yeah, to do I'm, it. I'm slightly more obnoxious than you, yeah. I will admit. Slightly. But yeah, to be fair to him, Nick Baker came over, realised we were stood there awkwardly waiting for him, and we had a lovely chat. We so did. before you start talking, let's find out what Nick added. Yeah. So we're here with Nick Baker at Global Bird Fair. So wonderful to have you on the podcast, Nick. Uh, what have you been doing here? Well, Bird Fair is like kind of a, a million and one sort of half completed conversation. So I've been chatting to everybody that I meet every year. This is like our catch up. This is the only time all, all the naturalists have spent all their year hiding in hedges and bushes and trees and stuff all come together and we get to see each other. This is the only time of the year we're ever social. So it's quite nice to be here. But I've been doing, I've been working with Zai. So we've been going out, taking families out onto the reserve. So we're doing a little bit of bird watching, a little bit of bug hunting all that sort of stuff so that's been quite good and then just quizzes and this and that and you know signing books signing kits all that sort of stuff but yeah mainly it's about the social life it's a really good place to catch up with old mates so fabulous i've seen you've been at all these different events you've been doing loads and loads it's been absolutely fantastic yeah it's our first global bird fair and we're definitely going to be back next year it's absolutely amazing part of our podcast is we create our own hypothetical zoo slash botanic garden so if you could add an animal or a plant to plant a plant zoo zoo what do you reckon you're going to add oh it'll have to be soon Pseudoscorpions. I've always thought I'd like to be keeper of the pseudoscorpions because they are they're an animal that not a lot of people know about. They're small, you know, five, six millimetres long is our biggest species, but most of them are a lot smaller than that. But when you see them up close, they're brilliant. They're like a scorpion without the tail, basically. They're cool little creatures. They haven't got very big eyes or no eyes at all in most cases, but they have like venomous pincers. And so it requires a, a certain touch, you know, to keep them in check. You've got to, be, you've got to know what you're doing. They're, they're proper little predators, venomous little predators, but, yeah, you need to know what you're looking at. And I quite like the idea. Every time I've shown them to anybody, it's blown their mind. And if the whole point of a zoo is really to push people outside of their expectations. And if they saw a cage full of pseudoscorpions, they'd certainly change their mind about the world. So, yeah, pseudoscorpions for me. Amazing. Thank you very much, Nick. Thanks for taking the time. Enjoy the rest of Bird Fair. And you. Okay, so that was Nick adding pseudoscorpions. Now, I'd heard of pseudoscorpions before, but don't know a whole awful lot about them. So I really enjoyed researching this and seeing little pictures. So I think you'll enjoy the pictures as well, Connor. Not the listeners, because they can't see. So pseudoscorpions are also known as false scorpions or book scorpions, which I really like. I like book scorpions. I don't like false scorpions. It falls again into the... They're not valid as a scorpion. Yeah, like, you're not good enough to be a scorpion. You're yeah. pretending. But it's like, they're not trying to be scorpions. My, my feelings are hurt on behalf of pseudoscorpions. Same. Book scorpions, though. I picture cool. a scorpion, little hat, glasses, lamp, tea. I feel like if I was a scorpion, I'd be a book scorpion. You would be. That's what you've been today. Yeah. <laughs> in, in the corner. In my, in my armchair. <laughs> I don't know why you were hissing. 
So they are small arachnids. So other types of arachnids include, obviously... Tarantulas, yeah, spiders, spiders, scorpions, and... eight yeah. legs. Yeah. So See? there's also mites, ticks, and whip scorpions. Oh, I love a whip scorpion. I held one in the That's Amazon. A... Did you? Yeah, there's a picture of me holding one in the Amazon. Oh, my god! I'll show it to you later. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, those are the ones from Harry Potter, aren't they? Where Mad-Eye Moody's like... He's testing out the spells. <gasps> oh, yeah. Yeah. We had some at the zoo once. I love They're them. really cool. So they are also an arachnid, just like pseudoscorpions. So pseudoscorpions can be yellowish tan in colour to dark brown. So they're brown. They're, they're scorpion coloured. Yeah. Is what you, yeah. <laughs> some species have up to four eyes, while others have no eyes. I thought it was interesting. I thought I'd do a little thing about the difference between scorpions and pseudoscorpions so we can get them properly segregated into their separate camps. The pseudoscorpions are much smaller than scorpions. That's the, the main distinguishing factor. Pseudoscorpions range from about two to eight millimetres in length. So less than a centimetre. So it's basically like a tiny little thing. If you look at the tip of your finger, it's just imagine a tiny little thing sitting on the tip. That's Whoa. how big they are. Yeah, very tiny. cute. Yeah. While scorpions are about half an inch to seven inches long. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, more sizable. You'd probably notice if you saw them kind of thing. Pseudoscorpions have a flat pear-shaped body. They have eight legs and they have pincers that resemble those of scorpions. So they, so do, they do have, they do have they little do have, pincers. Oh. Yeah. oh my God, they must be teeny tiny. Little baby pincers. <gasps> Can you imagine it pincers? Oh, ow. But it's, it's actually hurting because it's tiny oh baby pincers. Oh my pincer. gosh. Scorpions have a longer segmented body. So there's no segments? No segments in a pseudoscorpion, just like a little flat pear-shaped blob. Okay. And scorpions, so the main distinguishing factor other than size, is that scorpions have a long and flexible tail. It's got a stinger at the end and they use it for self-defense. So I think yeah. we're all sort of aware of that and they use it for hunting. Whereas pseudoscorpions <sighs> don't have a tail. They don't have a sting on the tail because they don't have a tail. Oh, damn. Yeah. So it's got a bum. It's got a little bum, little pear-shaped bum. Amazing. I know. I love them. So although both scorpions and pseudoscorpions have pincers, scorpions are obviously a lot larger, very noticeable at the front of their body. Uh, whereas pseudoscorpions, teeny tiny. And they're not as prominent as well. So I've actually got some pictures for you. Look how cute they oh are. My. Tiny, cute. They look like little mites with yeah. scorpion pincers. Yeah. It looks like if you take like a head louse and <laughs> a head louse. Yeah. Yeah. And just like. Gave it some pincers. Gave it some pincers. Yeah. Literally like a tick with pincers. Kind of horrifying, but they're cute. Nick's right there. They're pretty cool. Scorpions inject venom through their stinger. Yeah. While pseudoscorpions deliver venom through a bite. Oh wow, so they've just got a tiny mouth. So they have venom, can deliver venom through their bite, but not to humans. However, there are some similarities. Both scorpions and pseudoscorpions have, like you said, with arachnids, eight legs. They also both have two pedipalps, which are their pincers. Yeah. Uh, adapted mouth parts. I actually don't know much about pincers. Does that mean there was an animal at some point that had two mouths on stalks instead of pincers? That they used to eat through. Unlikely. Oh. But yeah, because tarantulas have got pedipalps and those oh. are those little things by their mouth. Mouth parts is in not mouths. Okay. Yeah, so they're the kind of things that like help them get food into their mouth. And so scorpions pincers are just adapted pedipalps. Mm. Oh, that's really cool. I actually didn't know that, so thank you. They also both have exoskeletons. 
So rather than having a skeleton... It's... Teeny tiny little exoskeleton. Yeah. It's a hard shell that covers the animal. So in terms of where they live, a bit of a difference with scorpions is where scorpions, you might associate them with deserts, with forests. You kind of find them all over the world, quite diverse, mm. caves, forests, grasslands, all kinds. Most pseudoscorpion species live in the tropics. So Ooh. really big diversity of pseudoscorpions there. But you can also find them in lots of different ranges, including like temperate ranges. We've got 27 here in the UK. Wow. Uh, different species, not individuals. <laughs> <laughs> Just 27, Just you've 27. got Gareth, <laughs> yeah. Susan. And there's three right behind you. <laughs> Pseudoscorpions, they live in damp debris, soil, trees, under tree bark, in leaf litter, moss, under stones, and in caves. They prefer high humidity environments. They do end up in homes sometimes. They're usually found among dusty books full of mites. Or in damp areas. Book scorpion. Yeah. Ah. Not because he likes reading. Well, he might. He does. He just does it really slowly because the words are bigger than him. We should make them tiny books. So you can also find them damp areas like bathrooms, basements, laundries, and around drains. However, do not be alarmed because pseudoscorpions pose no threat to humans as the venom has no effect on us. Yeah, because they pose no threat. They're six millimetres across. I can take that. I can take him. We can take them together. On our own? I don't know that we've no. got it, but together... Together, we can yeah. take on one six millimetre <laughs> invertebrate. Uh, but their presence in a home can indicate a large infestation of their, their prey, because they eat pests. Ooh. So if you see pseudoscorpions, you can be like, oh, cute, pseudoscorpion. And then you have to be like, oh, crap, what do I have in my house that I need to get rid of? Ooh. I thought it was pretty interesting. What is their prey then? If, they, if they've only got a teeny tiny mouth, because they're only six millimetres across anyway, mm. what is small enough that... They are eating it. They eat things like clothes moth larvae, carpet beetle larvae, book lice, ants, mites and small flies. Wait, book lice are a thing? You've just given me a new fear. We do have a lot of antique books. We should probably uh, check them (laughs) sometime. We'll just, what we'll do is we'll buy a load of pseudoscorpions, release them into our bookshelves. Feel like that might be inviting another problem. But this is why I always like having spiders in the house, because you sometimes get me to move them out, which is okay, I'm okay doing that sometimes. But they are good to have around because they will eat things like stuff in our books. They're going to release spiders in our house, is what I'm saying. They're good to have around, but not when they're in the bath with me. (laughs) They're never in the bath with you. They never ask first. They're not polite. They just come out of a hole in the wall. Honestly. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. So... Because they eat these things, they eat lots of different small insects and arthropods, they're actually really beneficial to humans. They use their pincers to capture and subdue their prey, and they have been observed actively stalking their prey, again, sounds really cute, uh, and ambushing insects as well. Just imagine a teeny tiny little bit of <laughs> Cute, isn't it? It's really sweet. Yeah. They also use their venom to capture and paralyse their prey. So they sort of jump out, and then they bite it, and then their prey is paralysed, and then they pour a mildly corrosive fluid over their prey and ingest the liquefied remains. Yeah, the, the cuteness has stopped. Duh. If I wanted to murder someone in the worst way possible, I'd put them in a tank with a million pseudoscorpions, and they'd just be slowly digested. It's definitely that is horrifying. <laughs> have fun sleeping tonight. We're going to have a happy marriage. <laughs> or else. <laughs> You'll like this. Okay. Pseudoscorpions have been known to hitch a ride on larger insects. <gasps> they actually feast on the parasites present on that insect. So Don't care about that. What insects? Ooh. What do they ride like horses? Flies and beetles. Oh, my life. 
So, like, you've got a pseudoscorpion sat on the back of a fly as it's buzzing around like he's yeah, riding look, a dragon. This one's hanging off the bottom. Whoa! That one's on a leg. Yeah. Yeah, literally. So it's like riding a dragon. They are living a fantasy life. I'm just saying, they're doing, they're remaking a live action How to Train Your Dragon. That you this, mean the best movie in the world? They've got, there's an opportunity here. Rather than dragons, have flies. Yeah. Rather than hiccup, have a pseudoscorpion. We need to approach Ardman with this idea. Listen, you've got Gary the Fly or whatever, that thing you did. What about... Midge the pseudoscorpion. <laughs> I can't remember what You mean Lloyd of the Flies? Oh, yeah, it's a really good name. <laughs> so that's, that's pretty cute. Yeah. Uh, now we get on to the bit that I always enjoy, which is the mating. Ooh. I like this mating style a lot. So the male pseudoscorpion produces a spermatophore, which is a package of sperm, and then he engages in a courtship dance to attract a female. So literally... Here's my parcel of sperm. Put that on the floor nicely. Now I'll do a little wiggle, do a little dance. Hopefully a nice lady finds me next to my sperm. <laughs> so the male deposits the spermatophore on the ground or another surface and then leads the female over during the mating dance. So he'll be like, oh, there's Julia. She's pretty. Hey, Julia, want to come and do a dance? So he's come doing see the, my sperm, Julia. He's doing like the pseudoscorpion version of the lasso. Yeah, yeah. Come this way, I've got something to show you. And it's his sperm on the ground. <laughs> the female pseudoscorpion draws the sperm packet into her reproductive system through a structure called the gonopore. Because the spermatophore be gonopore. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So this process allows for the fertilisation of the female's eggs with the male sperm. So she's like, oh, hey, Dave. Oh, that's a nice dance. Okay, what's that? Um, oh, your sperm. Oh, Dave, thank you. Yeah, I needed some of that to make the eggs. And she shoves it up. <laughs> and then she's like, thanks very much. I'm going to go hatch these. After mating, the female <laughs> pseudoscorpion produces a batch of eggs, typically ranging from 20 to 40 eggs. And she carries them beneath her abdomen. She provides care for the eggs until they hatch, so they're good little mums, oh. pseudoscorpions, ensuring their protection and development. All female pseudoscorpions exhibit a form of uh, parental care, so mm -hmm. every species. And they also have a brood sac in which they carry their developing embryos. Some species even have these special um, silk chambers to protect the eggs oh. until they hatch. And this care actually continues to after hatching. Oh. They don't just yeet them off them. The female provides for them until they're ready to fend for themselves. Pseudoscorpions have a long fossil record. Old fossils actually date back 380 million years, which is just wow. so many years. And actually, their body plan hasn't changed significantly over time. Um. So they basically started occurring in their current form roughly 380 million years ago and were like, oh, I'm perfect, and stopped. You'll be surprised to hear that I couldn't find any <laughs> record online of any zoos or botanical gardens like housing them specifically. The closest I could find was the botanical garden of, I can't pronounce this, the PJ Safaric University in Kozis, Slovakia which has reported the presence of pseudoscorpions in their greenhouses. Oh. It's not super clear whether it's like a display. I, I don't think it's a display. I think they're just found there. So they probably are in a lot of zoos and botan botanical gardens, but just by chance. Yes, because I guess it's going to be incredibly tricky to 
showcase an animal that's six millimetres yeah. across and even more tricky to get people excited about them. Yes, they are teeny tiny. However, people do keep them as pets in colonies. Ooh. Yeah, I found online, I went on a forum of people that have like invertebrates and keep them and have pets. And there are some people saying they just, yeah, they keep them in colonies. They find them really interesting. They're kind of hard to see. But <laughs> yeah, they're quite fun. And then people will just like release them. Wow. Yeah. So uh, yeah, they can be kept. So we're moving on to that section where we work out how we're going to house them in Planty Planty Zuzu, a.k.a. the best zoo and botanical gardens in the world. It just doesn't exist <laughs> in reality. So I chose a species on behalf of Nick because obviously there's loads of different species. I have chosen Chelifer cancroidis. Here's a picture of him. He's got such long pincers. Right, I liked him. I liked him a lot. Really he looked to be really, really good at hungry, hungry hippos. And cuddling me, wrapping those pincers around me. How many pseudoscorpions will it take to give you a hug all the way around? Oh, if they join pincers? A million, as they slowly digest me. But yeah, it looks like a woodlouse with spider legs and then, yeah, scorpion pedipalps pincers. That's, that's yeah, it. I see. So, common name for him, the house pseudoscorpion. Yeah. Yeah. Found um, in houses? Yeah. So, he's a rich mahogany colour, I think you'll agree. And so does the internet. <laughs> He's the most widely distributed species of pseudoscorpion in the world. So I was like, right, if we're the first zoo to have pseudoscorpions, let's just go for the most common. And then we can make it relatable to all of our international visitors. So called that because he's often found in people's homes. And they often enter homes by riding insects, like we discussed earlier. And actually that's got a name, it's called Phoresy. P-H-O-R-E-S-Y. The act of riding an insect to get into a house. I assume that's the name for like just an insect riding another or an invertebrate, another invertebrate. So that's how they get in or they are brought in with firewood Mm -hmm. because they like those sort of damp woody patches. That's why it's a deep rich mahogany colour to blend in with the deep rich mahogany that rich people are burning. Do people burn mahogany? No. They probably just make it into wardrobes. Yeah. That's why it's a house pseudoscorpion. Mahogany is not even a wood. It's it's just made up a thousand of pseudoscorpions. People at home, check your wardrobes. Is it actually a wardrobe or is it millions of pseudoscorpions (laughs) acting as a wardrobe? (laughs) Who knows? The government's been covering this up for years. (laughs) Big pseudoscorpion. So like all pseudoscorpions, they feed on other arthropods, small insects and mites. So in terms of how we will display them at our magnificent zoo and botanical gardens... Given their small size and secretive nature, like hiding away, it would be challenging uh, to get people to easily observe them. But I came up with what I think is a good idea. So I want to do a beneficial to humans invertebrate exhibit. Because people, especially invertebrates, be like, gross, scary. I don't want them in my house. Nice. But actually a lot, not just pseudoscorpions, but a lot of invertebrates are incredibly useful to people um, and they aren't something you need to see and then freak out about. So I really like the idea of showcasing them in their natural habitats sort of alongside. Imagine a tank and on like one half you've got forest, you've got logs, you've got all these damp hiding spaces and then as you move from left to right it sort of becomes a, a small little bookshelf. So it sort of merges, like suddenly you've got a bit less foliage mm-hmm. and a bit more shelf structure and it just and like some books up there. And then you can have like info about the fact that it's found there, but only because it's clearing out all the nasty mites yep. for you um, and all this stuff. And it's to showcase like, well, this is their natural habitat. 
because like when I first saw a cro- cockroach, it was in Australia. It was an infestation. The flat I just moved into, it was horrendous. Didn't even know they flied. It was awful. Horrendous. I moved out that night. <laughs> but when I went to the Amazon after and I saw them in their natural habitat, I was like, oh, mm. cockroaches are fine. Like they're just another yeah. really cool part of the natural world. But it's when you see them out of context in your home, in your space that you're trying to make all like comforting and cozy really freaks you out so I think it'd be really cool to show this sort of transition from like this is how they live innocently out in the wild and this is how they'll live in your house but they're not bad actually you can get rid of them but you can also just leave them and I know what you're thinking but they're teeny tiny how are we going to see them so I was thinking when we went to I think it's Chester Zoo they have that really cool little exhibit where I think it's near the orangutans or something and it's got jewel wasps yes and they have the big magnifying glass yeah. on the outside so that's what i was thinking we could have these tanks and then we could have these magnifying glasses at like different points and people can come have a look and and see nice. the place up and see their really cool shape and we could also have stuff like you know microscopic slides you can look under like people like can have volunteers mm-hmm. at our zoo like leading this educational workshop so yeah they can better see them they think they're really cool and everyone loves a magnifying glass so yeah, that's that's my, and nice. the whole exhibit can have more than just pseudo school. No, I like that. Wow. So now we've added a new exhibit to the zoo, beneficial to humans and invertebrate world. Ooh. Add it to the spreadsheet that we actually have now. Yeah, we do because I'm a big old nerd. Love you, nerd. No, that sounds fantastic. That sounds like a really good addition to Plenty Plenty Zoo Zoo. Thank you so much for adding that, Nick Baker. Yeah. Uh, honestly, we're thrilled to have you on the podcast. It's really uh, exciting to get to chat to you. Thank you for talking to us and not hating us for being weird. Yay, 10 points to Nick. Nice. Right, next up, it is me. Oh, I'm kidding. Yay, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> right then, it's my turn. So we also at Global Birth Fest spoke to and met for the first time ever Dave McCall, who was running his own stand in the art tent at Global Bird Fair. And he was selling some absolutely amazing art, wasn't he? he was... Yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, some of his stuff is absolutely incredible. It's truly brilliant. And I don't know what I liked more, his art or Dave as a person, because oh. he is just absolutely amazing, wasn't he? He was really yeah. friendly, really brilliant, and we must have visited his stall 10, 12 times over... The entire yeah. weekend, I reckon. We basically chose people we were fans of and then just bothered them all yeah. weekend. So, yeah, he makes this amazing animal-themed art. We both got pin badges. Mine had a little kakapo on, and I absolutely love it dearly. It is absolutely brilliant. I got a toucan. I you love got... his toucan art. I still want one of the posters. It's... He's got these wonderful toucan posters, osprey posters. Mm. He does pin badges. He does key rings. It's absolutely incredible. He's... Online shop has literally just launched, and also delightful is his mum. Yeah. His mum was on the store next to him. So Jenny, if you are also listening, it was lovely to meet you as well. It was absolutely fantastic. She's uh, an amazing sculptor. Had some yeah. really amazing ceramic stuff as well. Uh, Did so, she have yeah. a pangolin like a? She had, she had this really amazing. big, really big carved pangolin. Didn't it was like a grand. Or yeah, thing. slightly out of our budget. Yeah, it was like um, yeah, that price seems reasonable. I don't have it though. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so wonderful people. And so we thought it might be nice to talk to them, get them to add something as well. 
and it gives us an excuse to shout about the amazing art that they they mm. create because we are talentless yes so <laughs> uh let's find out what dave has decided to add I'm here with Dave at Global Bird Fair. Dave, do you want to tell me what you're doing here? Yeah, so this is my first year at the Bird Fair. I'm selling my illustrations, then I've got some loose prints on sale. Yeah, we've already bought some of your pins, and I've been ordered to buy something again. Oh my God, well, that's amazing. And the pins, I mean, the pins, they've been really nice to see them go down well because they were a labour of love. They were quite tricky to make, but they're all made out of recycled wood, environmentally friendly materials. It's something that I'm really big on. I, I, I want to use materials that are sustainable. Yeah, no, it's amazing. I think it definitely pays off in the quality how have you found the audience here have they enjoyed it a lot yeah it's been fantastic there's a real range of people it's just really amazing that people still came because of the absolutely horrendous weather it's been brilliant and it's been really lovely to chat to people and if i can i'd love to do it again next year good i'm hoping to come back next year as well and then with the podcast it's a hypothetical slash imaginary zoo and botanical gardens and gonna ask you if you could add any animal or plant to it what would you add gosh that is a very good question (laughs) i i have to say i have fallen in love with toucans i picked a toucan for one of my prints actually i picked four toucans and they are just amazing animals they look kind of prehistoric and they also look i mean they 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 also look sort of otherworldly but the colors of them is something that i think people have really picked up on that's really eye-catching and people have bought some of the prints and everything but I think in terms of animals, they are just very, I think they're very special. So yeah, I think it would be a toucan. Don't ask me which one because there's so many species. <laughs> Actually, do you know what? I think it would be the toco toucan, mainly because of the connection to Guinness, which is also something that I love. Amazing. So you have now added our first toucan to Planted by Zuzu. But yeah, thanks very much. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you. Right, fantastic. So you mentioned it straight away before uh, Dave came on. Dave's adding a toucan because yeah. of that amazing uh, toucan art print that he created who you are adding the toco toucan um, and i'm really glad he narrowed down the species for me because there are so many toucans about 40 different types of toucan all in the family ramfastidae oh that's a good which name. is a very very cool name so i'm glad they've narrowed it down to species level for me because it would have been pretty tricky otherwise ramfastidae is basically comes from a misspelling of ramphastes, the Greek word meaning snouted. Ooh. The toucan that we're talking about, the token, is in ramphastos genus. So the family ramphastidae, genus ramphastos, meaning snouted. And the toucan comes from Guarani, which is a language very close to the Tupi language, which we spoke about in last episode mm. for the Tamandua, which is the origin of that name. And so they're in the same kind of language family. And it comes from the word tuka, or tukan, meaning bone-nosed. Nice. I like that. A bone-nosed, yeah. It's Sounds really, like an really insult cool. for like, someone really stubborn. Who's yeah. Who's bone-nosed about this? I like that. I like that a lot. So, in that kind of 40 different species of tukan, within that, you get all your tukans, you get arakaris, mm-hmm. and you get tukanets, which are like tukans, but small. You know who's held a tukanet? Have you? In the Amazon. I did wonder if you would... Uh, <laughs> have seen any of these out in the world. Did you ever Emerald. see a Emerald Toucanet? Yeah, got them in mist netting. Oh, fantastic. Mm. Did you ever see a Toco Toucan? No. Really? No, that would have been amazing. Well, whereabouts were you when you went out there? What? In Peru, in Madre de Dios. Oh, okay. That probably ex- explains it. So they, you, you do get them in, in the edges of Peru sometimes, I think, but not massively, mm-hmm. which we'll come on to. But yeah, Toucanets. Gorgeous. Lil. Love them. 
Yeah, these toucans are absolutely stunning. Now, the Toko toucan is the toucan you imagine when you think of a toucan. Yeah. It's your very typical toucan. It's all black all over, huge, big, red, yellowy bill on the front, mm. nice white kind of lower face to chest, uh, throat area. And if you look really closely around its eyes, it's actually got a ring of blue skin and then a ring of orange skin as well. Looks mm. like it's wearing really jazzy glasses. Absolutely stunning. Mm. It's also the biggest toucan. Oh, nice. So you, you smallest is a type of arakari, but the biggest is a toko toucan, and it can get up to 65 centimetres long. Weigh up to about 700 grams for a male. Males are bigger than females, but that's basically the only difference between males and females. But it's that bill that is kind of really the notable, noticeable thing. Because that bill can be up to 23 and a half centimetres. Nice, that's huge. It's absolutely massive. And... It's got the largest bill-to-body size ratio of any bird. Wow. Is it top-heavy? Not to be confused with the bill-to-length ratio, because the sword-billed hummingbird had that one, which you spoke yes. about all the way back in our first episode. Mm. Tiny bird, really long bill. This is body size. So actually, if you're talking kind of surface area, because a toucan can make up up to 50% of a toucan's surface area. Wow. So enormous bills. That's like half of you being nose. And because that bill is really huge, you'd think it'd be really cumbersome and make flying difficult, but a bit like bird bones, it is completely hollow. So it's made out of keratin. Mm. Same thing as fingernails, hair, rhino horns, etc. It's got a honeycomb structure of keratin on a few like rods of bone. Mm. So it's really kind of light, loads of air in it, so it's not going to weigh them down at all. But it's also serrated along the edges. Which is really useful for peeling fruit. Because part of the function of that bill is it helps them basically reach a bit further and find food without having to move around too much. It's also useful for catching prey because they're mainly eating fleshy fruit, things like that. But also insects, lizards and the eggs and chicks of other birds. Oh, that's me. Right? I didn't know toucans were that brutal. Well, the emerald toucanets that we caught in mist netting, mm-hmm. the reason they got caught in the mist net is because they were going after a smaller bird. So we actually oh, really? had three birds in the mist net, the one that got caught in it and the two that were like, oh, great, pray, dinner. Wow. Like, yeah. So. But yeah, I didn't realise they were that brutal. Mm. But yeah, they're pretty opportunistic when it comes to food, so they pretty much anything they come across. I mean, they will actually go and raid other birds' nests for their eggs and their chicks and so... There's an idea that that bill might be to look threatening as well and intimidating to scare off other birds as it goes and raids and eats their babies. One of the biggest theories is also that it basically functions as a thermostat and controls their temperature because it's got a huge amount of surface area and it can regulate the blood flow of the toucan. So basically they can send loads of blood to the bill to kind of get rid of heat Mm. if they're too hot or restrict that blood flow to the bill when they're cold to kind of keep that heat in. Yeah. Um, and there's evidence for this in that they, when they sleep, they sometimes tuck their bills under their wing. Aww. And they think that might be to reduce heat loss through the bill and things like that. So it might be a way of keeping them at the perfect temperature. That's adorable. Kind of all the time. And it can actually be responsible for about 60% of heat loss from a toucan. So it's a, a really useful thing to kind of manage their internal uh, conditions. 
But there's also potentially a role for it in sexual selection because it tends to be bigger in males as well. So it might be a kind of show-offy thing to say, I've got a really big bill, I'm a really impressive male, let me have your babies. Mm. So as with your tucanets, they are endemic to South America. So you didn't see any in Peru, but you would find them in the Guyanas, in Brazil, through to Argentina, Uruguay. But they mainly favour slightly more open habitats. So they don't really like very dense rainforest. Mm -hmm. They prefer a little bit of open habitat, somewhere with a bit more space to fly around. In those dense kind of canopies, they tend to hop more than they do fly. They are found in the Amazon, but they're also found in the Pantanal, um, this big wetland habitat, and in the Cerrado as well, which is a bit more of a kind of density grassland. They're slightly different to other toucans in that they mainly feed alone. They're a bit more solitary, whereas you find especially toucanets and things in groups of like 20 or so all together, kind mm. of flocking around. But they will sometimes feed in those smaller flocks, and then they nest in tree cavities and have up to four chicks. Like owls. Yeah, absolutely. And both of those parents will take turn incubating the eggs and kind of looking after the chicks as well. I like that the animals we've added this fortnight have been good parents. They're a bird with a really big nose that nests in and around tree cavities. Sound familiar? They're basically occupying the ecological niche of another bird. Ah, woodpecker. What lives in and around cavities? Crows. Big nose. Flamingo. Of another type of bird? Yeah. With a big nose? Yeah. Shoebill. Pelican. Toucan. <laughs> You're going to kick yourself. Oh no, no. What is it? It's a... African and Asian birds. Hornbill. Hornbill. Yay. They're basically exactly the same adaptations as hornbills through convergent evolution. Because oh. their last common ancestor was about 50 to 55 million years ago. Mm. And you get toucans down in South America and you get hornbills over in Africa and Asia. They're effectively occupying the same niche. Oh. Hornbills casks... Again, they're completely hollow, and they're used for vocalisations, they're used for sexual selection and all these sorts of things as well. Toko toucans are also really, really useful to their ecosystem as well. I put this in specifically for you, because I thought you'd really, really like this. Amazing. But they're huge seed dispersers. <gasps> yes, very important. And so the seeds pass through them mostly undamaged, which means they're actually less likely to germinate, which makes it sound like they wouldn't be very good yeah. seed dispersers. But the ones that do are more likely to be further from their parent plant because oh. toco toucans fly around over longer distances compared to other species of toucans mm. so they're actually really good at spreading things really far and wide and there's one species that they're the most important disperser for it's called the manduvi tree mm. or the panama tree it's sterculia apatala Thank you for including a tree in your... <laughs> We're going to be adding that to Plant Fantasy as well. So I'm, I'm adding my first plant. You've had to deal with lots of animals being added. I have, been added. a nightmare. Uh, I'm going to add a plant. Thank you. Um, and it's in the same family as okra, cotton, cacao, mm. those kind of useful trees. Yeah. But toko toucans are responsible for over 83% of the dispersal of this tree. Ooh. Or of this tree's seeds. So it's really important. Which is really important for this one tree, which means it's actually in a kind of dependency with hyacinth macaw. Okay. So this big blue gorgeous macaw nests almost exclusively in the hollows of a manduvi tree. Oh, it is all interlinked. Once and, again, we identify... And so if you lose toko toucans, you lose the manduvi tree, so you lose hyacinth macaws, but... Are they the ones that have gone endangered now? Like, not gone endangered, gone extinct? That's spixes. Oh, okay. But there's another level, because hyacinth macaws make up a big part of a toko toucan's diet. 
because they will go in and they'll predate their eggs and their oh. hatchlings. Actually, toucans are responsible for over 50% of egg predation of hyacinth macaw eggs. So it's nothing like that's a big a proper yeah, cycle. Yeah, exactly. Like a closed loop. Absolutely, the the, the, the toco goes down, mm. and so the tree goes down. So the hyacinth goes down. So the tokos go down even more because mm. there's no hyacinth to eat, and it's just so the trees go down, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. Wow. Just goes all the way around. Mm. But yeah, Web so we, of life. So yeah, we're gonna stick a mandoofi tree in. Nice. Very happy with it. The toco tukun has captured people's imaginations because it is absolutely gorgeous, yeah. and so people love it. There's... Like Dave and his art. Absolutely. So it's it's been the object of loads of people's art. It's been the, it's basically the well known toucan. Like I like I said, the toucan you think of if you think of a toucan. Yeah. And so there's been loads of stories told about it. And actually, in Brazilian legend, it isn't that popular. Or it's popular, uh-huh. but it's not as well respected as it is in the rest of the world because it's actually kind of a bit of a, an object of ridicule. So there's one story in uh, Brazilian legend that says birds accepted the toco toucan as their king after seeing the size of his bill poking out of the hole he was nesting in. Mm. So they just saw his bill, and they went, oh, that's a really big, really impressive, incredible bird. He must be our king. He's bigger than all of us. Yeah. And then, once he came out, they realised that his bill was huge, and the rest of him wasn't that big. (laughs) So they completely mocked him, said he wasn't allowed to be king, and said that he was nothing but nose. That's horrible. He can't help that. Really mean birds. Absolutely horrible. What species were they? I hate them. They can't come in on zoo. <laughs> no bullies. No bullies allowed. So yeah, I thought that's a Brazilian story. Like, don't like it. <laughs> but it exists. Yeah. There's also a constellation named after the toucan, Tucana, oh. which makes up a bit of a kind of shape, almost like a bill shape, mm. um, which I assume is why they named it Tucana. But it's also, as Dave mentioned uh, when he added the toucan, it also captured the imagination of an artist called John Gilroy, who designed advertising materials for Guinness back in 1935. Mm. People that were around and drinking Guinness before the 1980s when these ads stopped going out, if you think of Guinness, you often think of the Guinness Toucan. Mm. Because there was a whole ad campaign that basically started because John Gilroy had been to a circus and wanted to show an ad where there was a sea lion balancing a glass of Guinness, a pint of Guinness on its nose. Yeah. Because he'd just seen sea lions in the circus. And so he did that, sent it to Guinness, and Guinness was like, we want more. Do more mm. animals. So he did things like ostriches, he did bears, and then he did a toucan. And the toucan had two pints of Guinness on his nose <laughs> because it was a bit of a play on the words of two cows. Oh. And so there's this, this ad from back in the 30s, and they made this whole copy that said, if you can say as you can, Guinness is good for you, how grand to be a toucan... Just think what two can do. Oh, that is such a gorgeous advert. It is well. absolutely lovely, isn't it? It's mm. proper vintage. Because they were all, at that time, they were talking about how healthy Guinness was for you. Oh, really? And they were trying to do an advertising campaign that really kind of bragged about the health benefits of drinking Guinness. What were the health benefits meant to be? I don't know, to be honest with you. Oh. I didn't look into that because I think it's fair to say Probably Guinness probably doesn't have that many health benefits. <laughs> uh, disclaimer. Please don't go out and drink loads of Guinness because this podcast told you it was healthy. This is an advert that went out in the 1930s. It's quite different standards of health. Yeah, and so they made this whole campaign of, of ads for toucans. They made loads for America of toucans flying under the Golden Gate Bridge and through these big monuments, but they never made it out. So they've been released since, so you can see what they look like, but they never actually made it to America to 
They're about to advertise, which is a shame. Oh. But they're very, very well drawn. And then over in America, you've got Sam the Toucan, which is the logo, uh, the mascot for Fruit Loops, the oh, cereal. Yeah. I'll be honest I don't really know why it's a toucan. It doesn't seem to be any... Toucans eat fruit, do they? Yeah. They yeah, do. I guess that's, that's... They're efficient at it, but yep. Yep, that, <laughs> that's, was, that's all I have. that was pretty much it, to be honest with you, I think. Mm. But yeah, so it's prevalent in quite a lot of media and things like that. It's a well-known, well-loved bird. Mm. And it's actually not doing too bad. It's least concerned out in the wild. <gasps> no way! Um, and it's actually one of those animals that may benefit somewhat from deforestation. Because it likes those wide open spaces, it doesn't really oh. like that dense rainforest. It's one of the animals that can probably adapt better to the Yeah, changes. absolutely. So you can see toucans surviving pretty okay in urban areas, around airports, around newly built roads that have been carved through rainforests and stuff. So I don't think they particularly like deforestation. It's not going to do massively good things for them, but they can survive and adapt a little bit more than, say, some of the toucanets and some of the other species of toucan in that family. It's rated as least concerned, but it's still threatened by hunting for meat and for its bill for souvenirs and things like that. No, it's really... Oh, it's so... It's something a little bit different, isn't it? Something mm, cool, yeah. a bit different. It's always going to be, be an issue. A big worry for the toco toucan is the pet trade. 23 studies, so a study that was done this year found that they were actually the second most traded toucan species between 1975 and 2018, and they were also wow. the most expensive. Oh, gosh. So, toco toucans were being found to be exported from the most places and going for up to the equivalent of $15,000 today. Who's buying them? Is it people in the South American countries? Is it US market? I think all of it. I think it's global, I think. We're not allowed animals like that in the UK, are we? I've never heard of anyone having anything like that. We, you are, yeah. Are you? Yeah, I think there's there are private collections and stuff. Maybe not toucans, but definitely some animals that you'd wow. think you weren't allowed in private hands. I hadn't. I really didn't know that. No, there's quite the wildlife trade in the UK is, I think, quite a lot bigger than you'd imagine. Yeah, maybe there's just not a culture of it. Yeah, I've just, I've just never heard of anyone. Yeah, in terms of zoos, toucan toucans are actually fairly common. I think they're the most common of the toucans, but they're not. As common as lots of other birds. For example, I've seen far more hornbills than I've seen toucans in zoos. Um, but I have seen a toco toucan down at Paynton Zoo before, which is the nearest zoo to us that, that has them. And they are absolutely stunning. They are amazing. Difficult to photograph, going to be honest with you, because they move around a lot and sometimes they turn and face the camera and look horrifying. <laughs> They're an really? animal that was designed to be viewed from the side. Uh. Yeah, look, toucan dead in the face as it looked directly at me. I... It was deeply uncomfortable. Really? So painted are one of four zoos in the UK that hold toco toucans. So there's actually only six toco toucans in the UK. So I've seen half of the population. Congrats. <laughs> um, but there's 32 zoos in Europe, 39 in the USA, 20 or so in Asia. So they are found in quite a lot of different collections around the world. Hmm. But again, kept a bit more solitary. So they don't have them in these huge flocks because they don't hang around like that in the wild. So in terms of how we keep them in Planty Planty Zoo Zoo, I think... All of the ones I saw and all the ones I looked at seem fairly similar in that they're a, a standard aviary in a big rainforesty setting. So they've got lots of tall trees mm-hmm. or lots of kind of hanging perches and stuff. So I think we were talking about the free roaming tropical biodome in the wildlife of the Americas section last week yeah. for the Tamandua. I think the Toco Toucans can have a few sections of their own, a few aviaries of their own 
So netted away from the rest of the birds so they don't go off and eat all the eggs and the chicks of the, the other birds oh in their nest. But yeah, we can have a few in different places. So we can have three or four different toucans mm. uh, kept on their own. We can mix them up when we need to breed them, etc. I think they'd fit in really, really well. Give them a nice bit of height as well. Big aviaries where they can show off their flight and stuff and people can kind of see them hopping around. And I think as part of that big biodome, I want different levels so you can climb up and around rainforest so i'm going to base it around a big tree in the mm. middle so you can kind of go in this kind of spiral around this tree for a different canopy layer i'm thinking like when you go up to the top in places like q in there their yeah, kind of glass houses and in amongst that biodome we're gonna have a lovely little manduvi tree as well can i have my office in this biodome yeah i want to be hot and sweaty and around lots of trees but we can build your office into the tree in the middle so that you're in the nice warm, but also constantly surrounded by the public, which I know you love. Oh, con! No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want my own. I want it to be hanging from the ceiling and accessible via a sort of slightly elevated staircase. And uh, I walk from the top floor where the public can go up this little staircase to this hanging little office desk. It's going to be great. That's what I want. And the birds can fly and hang out with me. And I'll be amongst the leaves. <gasps> I'll be amongst the leaves of all the trees. Done. Thank you. Right, that's it. I think that's our, our Toko Toucan added as well. Nice. So that's another two wonderful species that we've been able to three. add. Three. So that's another three wonderful species that we've been able to add today. So thank you again so much to Nick Baker for coming on and for Dave McCall as well. It's been absolutely brilliant to have you both on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely go and check out Dave's art and go and buy things from his online shop because he's absolutely brilliant and they'd make absolutely perfect Christmas gifts. If you take a look in the description for this podcast episode, you'll find links to his shop and also to their social media profiles. So go check them out, give them a follow. They're really lovely people. Absolutely. Just before we go as well, we want to say another huge thank you to all of you because Spotify Wrapped came out uh, in the gap between this episode and the last one. And considering this is our first year of making Planty Planty Zuzu, we were really, really happy with it. We have 16 people who we are the top podcast for so shout out to you 16 if you are one of those and we were your most listened to podcast please let us know because it'd be absolutely wonderful to hear from you we're really happy with how the podcast has gone so far this year we've just hit a a thousand listens on spotify so we're really thrilled that people are enjoying it and listening and once again if you have any ideas at all about what you want to see from the podcast any animals or plants that we should add or any cool people that we should talk to, please let us know, because we're looking at doing more interviews next year, ready to get more people on Planet Zuzu, adding more species as well. Mm. So thank you so much to everyone who's listened. You can follow us on Instagram at plantaplantyzuzu, and make sure we start putting up more clips and things from our podcast episodes, so uh, you can share those, get more people into the podcast. And we're on Twitter slash X at Planty Planty Zoo. Thank you again so much for listening, for all your support this year. We've got one more episode coming out between now and the end of the year. And that will be rounding up our Global Bird Fair interviews, ready for us to start with some brand new faces coming on next year as well. So thank you so much and goodbye. Bye. All mixed when we want to kind of breathe them. That would be my bad. Steph.